Hi, Stephen. Hi, Erica. And we're back. Yeah, we are. We've watched um, parts two through four of That Earthy Child. I was trying to think of what the individual episode titles were. Cave of Skulls, The Forest of Fear, and The Fire Maker. There we go. And I did not know that before tonight. This is is something I just learned. Seriously? Yeah. I don't know. I had heard of The Cave of Skulls. I knew that because... Actually, I have no idea why I knew it. I, but know I didn't why, know. Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're, you've seen episode one a few times, that, mm-hmm. and then it's his next episode, <gasps> Cave of Skulls. That's why. Yeah. That have, makes sense. Have you ever tried to um, memorize the individual story titles for the early 60s episodes? I don't even, I've never even heard of most of them, so really? no, I haven't tried to memorize them. I, I did once. I did try once. Um, and then I realized that... Because I know, uh, background story, there's, um, for each classic Doctor Who series, that stuff from 63 to 89, each one was insi- assigned an internal production code um, for the BBC. And they used to list these in, like, program guides and books. And one such book had an index of all the Doctor Who stories and their production codes. And so... It's like an encyclopedia, and at the end of each entry, instead of listing the whole story, they just put the production code. And so, as I was reading that book from cover to cover, I would look at it, and at the end, I'd go, "Okay, A." So I'd flip back to the episode guide, and it would say, "Oh, Unearth the Child." By like a hundred odd pages into the book, I'd pretty much have memorized the production codes of every single Doctor Who story for life. Mm-hmm. But I decided that that was enough. <laughs> and so I didn't want to embark on a similar quest to remem- to memorize all 128 of the uh, individual episode titles before they moved to, uh, to overall story titles um, mm-hmm. in the third season. There's your history lesson. But you know all of the titles, like the story titles of all of the Doctor Who stories for the entire run of the series. I do. It's What's fun- another 128? It's it's funny you mention that because because of that, I mean, a lot of the early scripts, this is fun, we haven't even talked about the episode yet. <laughs> a lot of the early scripts had didn't really have overall story titles on them. They just sort of like each episode, it would be like, honestly, I think I think this one was like Serial A, it would say, mm-hmm. Doctor Who, Dur, Dot Who. <laughs> Serial A would be the first one. So there's some debate... We watched the story on an earthly child because that's sort of what it's been called over the years. But mm-hmm. I think it's either the tribe of gum or 100,000 BC is sort of the mm-hmm. the unofficial, official, actual title from 1963. Doctor Who is fascinating. There's so much minutia. I yeah, like it. I know. That's what we're learning. On this it journey is. on Lazy Doctor Who, that's the name of this podcast, which we have yet to say. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, when's the last time you saw the uh, the Caveman episodes? episodes you know what? I have no memory of this. I really? am starting to wonder if I did even ever see all of them. I mean, maybe I did when I was a wee child, oh, watching with my mom. But I yeah. don't. I I really don't think that this was part of my uh, great 1994 rewatch. Really? Yeah, because I there was nothing in here that seemed even remotely visually uh, memorable. Mm-hmm. I, well, not memorable, but I didn't remember any of it. I I knew a lot of the of what happened in it because of reading about it and and hearing podcasts about it. So I kind of knew what the story was. Right. But yeah, this this felt completely new to me. 
What'd you think? I liked it. Yeah. I was, I was, I was surprised. This was, it was a story of political intrigue. It's mm-hmm. just that, yes, the politicians were wearing furs and using many, you know, single syllable words, but, but it was still a good story. I, I found it. I found it interesting. I it got a little slow in a couple of places. I would have personally I would have cut it down to 3 episodes right. total, nah. you know, keep the first one exactly the same. Um cut out some of the dialogue in The Cave of Skulls because uh-huh. there's an awful lot of just caveman posturing and saying, you know, za make fire. Where's fire? Za make fire. <laughs> Cal bring meat. Right. There's just a, an awful lot of back and forth um, of kind of the same thing being repeated in over and over again. And then the fight scene in the last episode. I just get bored by fight scenes, so I would have cut that down a lot. That was directed by young Douglas Camfield, that uh, film fight scene that they did. Because wow. back in those days, they shot most of it on multi-camera um studio cameras like they would a sitcom basically and the bbc <laughs> did that all, all the way up until the end of doctor who in 1989 and they shot some the action sequences usually scenes that had action that needed like quick cutting or stuff that had like a lot of fire or water or other elements like that that would shoot at a different film studio and so that film bit that fight scene mm-hmm. there was was shot on film with an entirely different and it's funny to watch the transition because you could see this is episode four, when they're sort of, you know, the main cast sort of back up away from the fight as the two fighters, Ka uh, and, no. Za and Cal. Za and Cal. Um, back away. And so they so they could back away onto film. I just thought it was very <laughs> it was... amusing to me. Did you notice also that the the main um, female character in this? Her. was called her. <laughs> it's spelled H-U-R, I yeah, noticed in the I credits, but I thought that was kind of hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, her and old woman were the uh, mm-hmm. the main, you know, the female contingent with speaking roles. Although, really, her, she really kept the plot going. I mean, if it wasn't for her, her, uh, sorry, that makes me giggle every yeah. time. If it wasn't for her, then I think a lot of this just wouldn't have happened. They would have gotten away in the first place. They'd have gotten all the way back to the TARDIS. It would have been a much shorter, more sort of, you know, boring story. Her is the manipulator in this. Mm-hmm. She is trying to make. Zaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still get the names mixed up. He's trying to make Zaw a more powerful leader and try mm-hmm. to sort of manipulate him into doing what she wants him to do. It would be fun to see a return to the tribe of Gum to see what happened to that tribe afterwards now that, that Zaw has no rival, has fire, you know, is the undisputed mm-hmm. leader and what would her do perhaps i think her would be basically leading from the background Mm -hmm. i i think she would she would be the one in charge za would you know he would he's the figurehead yeah (laughs) yep yeah i think that's pretty pretty clear you could almost look at this story as an allegory to real world politics i think someone has done that but how you know the tribe from the other side of the mountains or sort of a cold war kind of Mm. kind of allegory going on there and about how i'm not sure what it is but i think people have read stuff into that i think people have read a lot of stuff into the first story particularly the first episode where people think that Ooh, they were sitting up on this grand vision of us, you know, we look back at it now mm-hmm. almost with a, with a mythical light 
where you know every little line that you that you re- that you hear in the first uh, episode, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or even this one, "Fear mm-hmm. Makes uh, companions, companions of All mm-hmm. of Us" is is repeated and listened in series eight. Um, it's it's funny to watch back watch this back when you're just sort of you try and put yourself in in the mind of a viewer just watching the show for the very first time. Mm-hmm. It's difficult sometimes when yeah. we know what uh, what would come after this. I think you'll find the line is "Fear makes companions of us all." Oh, that's the line there. And Hartnell, I always thought that that um, uh, that was a line that was spoken in, in, in listen, listen. But Hartnell actually said, and I, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that until we saw it just now, that fear makes companions of all of us. He actually said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and not of us all, which is which is oh, what we all mem- okay. remember right. it. He said all of mm-hmm. us. So Interesting. I don't know if that was Hartnell improvising on the set or. Um, if that was, we've just been misremembering it all this time. Who knows? Well, I didn't really know it before. I only knew it from Listen. So I, you know, maybe, maybe they changed it on purpose in Listen to make it so it's not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Don't know either. I think it's been, I think it's sort of been committed to memory as fear makes companions of us all. Hmm. Did you notice when uh, the Doctor is played by William Hartnell in episode three there, um, in order to get away, in order to to, to convince his companions to get away from this um, <laughs> caveman, was about to kill the caveman. <laughs> the famous, the infamous scene. Yes. You know what, I, I had heard so much about this and... You know, honestly, I didn't think it was as big a deal as it was made up to be. No. Like it was I expected it to be much more overt and to take up more screen time. Uh-huh. And really it was just all you do is you see him picking up a rock. And I mean, I'm not arguing that that's not what he was about to do. I think that that's that's probably that was that was his intent. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, it just seemed it didn't seem like such a big deal. <laughs> really. I liked that it was subtly played myself mm-hmm. because there's no reason for Ian, who is the one that caught him, uh, mm-hmm. Barbara and, and Susan ever saw, is no reason for Ian to trust him at this point because they clearly distrust each other. They're really oh, kind yeah. of they're very an- antagonist, antagonistic towards each other. So there's no reason for him to say, "I can't believe you would do this." You know, it's just because they're in the middle of a crisis. He's mm-hmm. realizing, "Oh, you're trying to to kill this guy." Um, mm-hmm. I just find it a fascinating scene. It's it and it's it's it's. It's the bluster of the doctor trying to sort of, I was trying to get him to draw a map (laughs) as if, you know, they would know what maps are in 100,000 BC. (laughs) That's what makes it great because it's Mm -hmm. such a horrible lie (laughs) that, yes, he was going to kill him. This is where the doctor was. So when people say that Peter Capaldi in Series 8 is so dark and 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 controversial and unfriendly and unkind it's, mm-hmm. he's just really channeling the very beginnings of the entire show um it's it's important to not lose sight of that yeah i mean i have to say the doctor is not a particularly like particularly likable character at all nope at the beginning in, in this story um he's and and we are told that he hasn't been it's not like this is out of character he gets all huffy and pouty and susan says oh he always gets like this when he doesn't get his own way yeah. and i'm just like wow what a petulant child and i guess technically he's he's more of a child here than he ever is later on because this is the youngest we ever see him which <laughs> i thought was which i thought was funny when he had a line when they were you know trying to get away and he's trying to catch his breath i, I think that was the point where he says something about his not being particularly young and yeah. i was like oh but you are uh-huh. <laughs> you are you are the baby face doctor even mm-hmm. if your face is not a baby 
I would think he was about 300 at this point. I was thinking 200, but I'm not sure why. I don't know why. I don't think Mm -hmm. no age has ever been given. um, Maybe not. You know, until he's 450 in season five. But I don't know. I'm just guessing with 300. Mm -hmm. That's just me. And speaking of characters, I have to say Susan is certainly not winning me over here. (laughs) I mean, in the first, the very first episode, I like her because she's just so kind of weird and ethereal. And and, And unearthly. Yes, she is. And unearthly child. Mm -hmm. But here, she just, she starts off hysterical and pretty much stays hysterical until the very end when she's the one that figures out. Well, b- between her and Ian, they figure out how to get away at the end because she... I'm not really sure why she suddenly puts a human skull on top of a uh, on top of a burning right. torch. You know, but that's a little bit of a return to the unearthliness and the ethereal weirdness. So I liked that bit. But everything in between was just kind of... There's an awful lot of hysterical screaming. And I, I don't know... Not that she doesn't have a reason. There's uh-huh. scary stuff going on. Barbara does it too. Yeah, what they Barbara screams, but Barbara does not scream quite so hysterically. Well, she kind of loses it for a little bit there, and it takes um, Will uh, Ian sort of. Yeah, she has her moment. Yeah, and understandable. This but is, see, the thing it's is, been this, a, it's been a rough day, and this is Barbara's first time um, experiencing dimensional transcendence. <laughs> transcendence. Yes. Uh, it's her first time traveling in time. It's her first time seeing cavemen. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Whereas it's, you know, we even see the doctor's notebook and Susan says, this is his notes of all of the places mm-hmm. we've visited. And, you know, we, we know that she knows about the French Revolution. That wasn't exactly the most calm, um, serene place to visit. Nope. I just... I mean, maybe it's just the fact that she is suddenly separated from her grandfather, and he's the one that has always taken care of her. I, I, I guess I can chalk it up to that. She's a she's a youngin, and she's afraid without her her parental figure. Okay, I've I've hand waved it enough that it doesn't get on my nerves. <laughs> you could do that quite as much. Yeah, I just I just have to talk myself through these things. I know you do. So, you, and of course, you're. I think as we go through this. And I know you already, obviously, because we're married. <laughs> you are more of the Watsonian um, of mm-hmm. this duo here, whereas I am the more Doyleist. Is that right? Did yep. I do that right? Yes. Uh, if, to explain for those who don't know, uh, this is from the Sherlock Holmes stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, right. It is sort of a, a way of looking at television or stories watsonian means from the perspective of somebody inside the story mm-hmm. like uh, like john watson and doyleist would be from outside of the story like sir arthur conan doyle who wrote the, the uh, sherlock holmes stories right and i like to i like i like all of the things that happen in a story to have a reason to happen from within the story and i completely understand that things outside the story have to affect them but if it doesn't hang together nicely from a narrative standpoint it tends to i wouldn't say upset me but i get disappointed i understand i but of course i think susan is there to sort of you know represent the the children viewers um, and from their perspective. And then you get Ian and Barbara who are sort mm-hmm. of the parents. They're their sort of way in to, the, to this sort of thing. They're seeing how they would look at it. Cause you know, you see that Ian is very cold and calculating and logical. And Barbara is, mm-hmm. is sort of, well, let's see where this is. I can't discount it because it's, it's obviously happening. And then of course 
the doctor is um, no one's point of interest into the show because he's <laughs> supposed to be a mystery. They said a couple times in the mm-hmm. show we all we all made fun of Doctor Who in uh, in in the Matt Smith years for using the old Doctor Who gag a lot. We've mm-hmm. heard it uh, twice, twice already, and, and the first time came out of the mouth of the Doctor himself. Yeah, so it's validated mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, I was kind of like nodding my head and going, "Hey, haters, suck mm-hmm. it," because <laughs> this is this is old school. Mm-hmm. I love everything Doctor Who, so I, I, I still like this story, but I don't know where you sit and when, when, when how bubbly and happy you are towards <laughs> everything Doctor Who. Having having seen this for the first time, well, how would you rate this? Not out of a number or anything like okay, that. Okay, thank, thank goodness. Well, I don't hell no, I don't want to do that. It's boring. Okay. Um, no, I I really liked it. Yeah. Um, I, still, I still don't know how I feel about the Doctor, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen a whole lot of William Hartnell's stories. And currently, just based on all the Doctors Who that I've seen, he's not particularly high on my favorite list. But people that I, people that I know and whose opinions I trust a lot, really hold him in high regard. So I'm interested to see how that changes over the course of, of of seeing him evolve. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I don't know. And it's hard to it's hard to rate a story separately from my feelings on the Doctor because that's just how I roll. Um, so I would say that it's it's a pretty good story. It was fun to see fun to see Ian sort of, you know, go from from I don't believe this, it can't possibly be happening to okay, here we are and I'm going to try to figure things out and make mm-hmm. sure everybody stays safe. Um and and, even, and even more uh, more importantly perhaps is he goes from I'm calling the shots here as we're trying to get back to the TARDIS in episode mm-hmm. 2 or 3. And two at the in episode four, then when he's trying to make fire, mm-hmm. and Zah comes in and says, "Who's the leader of the? Are you the leader of the tribe?" Mm-hmm. And he pointedly says, "No." Points to the doctor. He is our leader. I thought that was a very important moment. It for was the development and of the time team. I feel like I can draw a straight line from um, in the cave of skulls when when he says, you know, the, the doctor says, "So you're the leader now," and he said, "Well, we didn't have time for an election or whatever." Mm-hmm. Two, the the middle of this line is when Susan says he's like this, the doctor is like this all the time when he doesn't get his way. Ian's a school teacher, so he has to know <laughs> he has to know how to handle right. stroppy kids. Mm-hmm. And the doctor is basically acting like a stroppy kid. And Ian, it's important to him that everybody stay safe and protected. So at the end of this straight line that I'm drawing here, right. you get in the Firemaker, um, Za asking who's the leader, and Ian making this quick decision, being like, "I feel, I think he feels like he's the leader." But in order for things to play out smoothly and for mm-hmm. everybody to, you know work together as a team he points to the doctor and says that the doctor is the leader simply to assuage his ego that's the only reason i think he does it and i think that that's a crafty and wise thing on ian's part so bravo kind of mirroring uh hers motivations you know mm. she's the one behind uh behind <laughs> za hmm. mm-hmm. we've read a lot into this story it's it's good there's i, like I think him. there's a lot more to it than yeah. Then I would have guessed just, you know, because I keep hearing people refer to it as, oh, it's just a bunch of cavemen running around and being monosyllabic and stuff. Mm-hmm. And no, there's there's quite a bit going on here and, and some quite decent performances. I mean, it's not the most wonderful dialogue in the world, but if it was, it wouldn't fit the, the setting. And I think that everybody pretty much without without fail, I think they're mm-hmm. all good at what they do. There's all of what, four speaking roles, I think. Yeah, um, not a lot, but. But it still works. Mm-hmm. 
you know, obviously the TARDIS translation circuits are uh, <laughs> are working from day one. Um, Speaking of things working or not working from day one, yeah. I never realized that the chameleon circuit broke right here. Oh, really? I, just, for, I, I mean, I guess, of course, it had to because it was, you know, a police box, so it had to work when it sat down there. But it just, for some reason, that never twigged to me. So seeing... It was just so weird for me, having watched the TARDIS be a police box for 30-some years, <laughs> to, to see the Doctor and Susan be like, oh, it was supposed to change. It didn't change. Like, I, in my head, I was like, what? What? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. It just never sunk in. It's funny watching Origins, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. You, you realize this is where everything sort of starts. Mm-hmm. You just assume that it would have already happened. That they already realize yeah. is going to be a police box. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps maybe in episodes that you never saw, it was an ionic column or a sedan mm-hmm. chair, perhaps. And mm-hmm. maybe around the keys of Marinus, it takes shape as a police box. But of course, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is exciting. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this project now. <laughs> Good. Not that I wasn't before, but... No, I know. Well, you haven't... Uh, well, just wait until you get the recons. Um, oh. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. We'll get through it together. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I refuse. I'm going to worry. I can't help it. Don't. Next up is the Daleks. Seven parts. I don't know if we'll tackle all seven parts of one podcast, but... Mm, maybe not. No. It's a bit of a slog, but we'll get through it. Mm-hmm. On Lazy Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. Dot com. And at Lazy Doctor Who on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's where we are. Oh, you know, and one other thing that I want to take a second okay. to do is to just thank uh, Jason Snell of the Incomparable Podcast Network for allowing us to uh, to appear on the Incomparable Network. Yeah, thanks, Jason. And hopefully uh, you can get through the caveman episodes of this podcast, of this, uh, this story, which you previously were unable to do. <laughs> I urge you to give them a second chance. <laughs> it's worth it. It is. Okay, bye. <laughs>